Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. I would like to introduce many of you know um, William Wood. He has been here. This is your third time. And we are so grateful he's back. He is a true, like, revivalist. Uh, The only way I can describe him is we study revivalist and revivalist culture in discipleship school, and William is a modern-day revivalist. And so it is our privilege and our honor to have him here. Would you just give him North Dakota welcome? Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Oh, love you. Amen. Wow. Well, good morning, Burning Hearts. I don't know about you, but I am trying to wake up. (laughs) So I want you to be praying for me, amen? When I came here yesterday, no, when we came here, when was it, two days ago? Pastor? Two days ago. Everything runs together when you travel like I do. And I didn't know that your pastor loves college football, right? And then she tells me she loves, uh, her favorite team is my home state, which is Alabama. Roll Tide, amen. (laughs) Come on now. You'll get saved at the end of the service, whoever that was. No, but it's, it's truly an honor to be here. This year, I happen to have my wonderful, beautiful wife to travel with me. Babe, can you stand up? Come on. She's amazing. And you also notice she brought some uh, product with her. She has some jewelry that she makes. And uh, we're connected to several different ministries aimed at establishing safe homes for human trafficking or sex trafficking victims. Uh, one, two of the ministries are, that we're connected with have seen over 300 children saved so far, rescued so far. And that's beautiful, isn't it? And... One of the ways we help fund those safe homes, or one of the ways she helps fund those safe homes, is through the jewelry that she makes. And so if you would like to kind of check out what she has out there at the end of the service, she'll be out there just uh, uh, manning the desk and everything. So if you want to look at that, please, please go by and do that. Are you guys ready for the Word of God? Man, that was a very weak amen. Are you guys ready for the Word of God? <laughs> Well, I really feel like the Lord is going to take us on a journey uh, this morning. Uh, he's, been, he's been really reawakening the church over the past year and a half. And in my traveling, I'm beginning to see the Lord do a lot of things in a sovereign way to wake up the church to partner with what he intends to do. I was actually recently in, a, in an area where... They were bringing me in to do a conference on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, one of the churches that was in the area is a sensationist church, which meaning they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They don't believe in speaking in tongues, and they think that's of the devil. And so naturally, they began to speak out against me coming to this area. But the pastor made a mistake. You know what that mistake was? He told his people not to go to the conference. <laughs> and you know how people are when you tell them not to do something. I mean, you know how rebellious you are, right? Anyhow, and so we start this conference, and sure enough, the second day of the conference, I'm preaching the Word of God, and all of a sudden, I see the back door open, and I see this group of people walk into the service, and they sit on the back row, and they cross their their, their arms like this, you know, just to kind of spectate, and at least I know where they stand, right? At least I know, okay, they don't really agree with what I'm talking about. Within 10 minutes, every single one of them fall out under the power of the Holy Spirit, (laughs) but with an evidence of speaking in tongues. 
The only issue is they don't believe in it. (laughs) I love when God does things in spite of us sometimes, right? Just to help us out. Well, it kind of it messes up the whole church service in a good way. And the power of God begins to touch people and begins to wreck people with his love and his power. Well, the next morning is a Sunday morning uh, service. And so they go to their home church. Well, the service starts, and one of the ladies that gets filled the night before, she stands up and begins to pray out loud in tongues in a sensationist congregation. Well, when she does this, it catches across the congregation, and person after person begins to be filled with the Spirit of God, with an evidence of speaking in tongues. Isn't that amazing? Well, the pastor is sitting about where uh, Pastor Jane is sitting, and he sends one of his deacons up to bring order to the service, you know, and he grabs the mic, and guess what happens to him? He gets filled <laughs> with an evidence of speaking in tongues. I mean, I just love it when God vetoes our doctrine, vetoes our beliefs, And just kind of wrecks us anyway. It's a beautiful thing when he comes and does things in spite of who we are. But my thing is this. What would it look like if he did things because of who we are? Because of our alignment with him. Well, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about this morning. But I want to use a passage of scripture that that I think we generally overlook. And I want to talk to you about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit because you'll notice when you move from Old Testament to New Testament, one of the major distinctions between those covenants is the indwelling of God's Spirit. But one of the things I think we forget or don't look at sometimes is what is the mission of the Spirit through our life? Some of us know the Holy Spirit has a mission that he is on. And, and we want to look at what this mission is today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And in this passage of Scripture right here we're going to look at, you're going to notice there's three specific roles that the Holy Spirit has when he comes, when he is poured out upon believers. There's three specific roles that he has in regards to ministering to the world, to his mission within the world. And I want you to pay attention to the context that this, this, that this is displayed through your life. In John chapter 16, verse 5, Jesus comes to the disciples, and he's beginning to prepare the disciples for his departure. He's getting ready to go to the cross to be crucified, to be raised from the dead, and to pour out his spirit. But the disciples are not ready for his departure. So he comes to the disciples, and he begins to explain to them exactly what's going to happen and what they can expect to happen to them. In verse 5, it says this, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. That means we need to pay attention, amen? It says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to who? Us. To you. To me, this is a very profound, powerful statement. Number one, Jesus is actually walking with the disciples in his flesh. They can reach out and touch Jesus. They can hear Jesus with their ears. They can see Jesus with their eyes. They can get up in the morning and go spend all day long with Jesus. And so the context of this is that Jesus is literally walking with them with a manifestation of his flesh. What would be better than Jesus walking with them in the flesh? 
you know, we're obviously looking back to the text now, we understand what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples. But can you imagine what the disciples were thinking in this moment? They're thinking, what is better than Jesus right here beside me in the flesh? What is better than him walking around with me, teaching me how to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers? But yet Jesus himself is telling them, there's a time coming where something better than me walking with you in the flesh. I would like to propose to you that you and I are living in the time that Jesus is referring to. I want you to consider this statement. You and I have a greater reality that we live in right now with our relationship with Jesus than the disciples did at this time. That normally goes over about like that. It's mighty quiet in this charismatic church. <laughs> Have you considered what Jesus is actually telling the disciples right here? He's, listen, it's to, my adv- to your advantage that I leave you. Because a time is coming that when I leave and I pour out my spirit, the spirit of Christ, he's literally saying, it's coming a time where I'm not just going to walk with you. I'm literally going to live in you. Man, when you gave your life to Jesus, are you fully realizing what took place in your spirit? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, The one that has joined himself to the Lord has become one spirit with him. That means when you became a born-again believer and you said, I do to Jesus, your spirit and God's spirit became one. They became in union with each other. That word one means to the exclusion of another. That means in your spirit right now, you're in total union with Christ. Isn't that amazing? That you are in total union with Christ right now? That means heaven has made you its home. Let me try this out over here. Let me say it in a different context. That means God has made you his dwelling place. God. Why do you think in Romans chapter 8 it says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Well, number one, because he lives inside of you. Jesus lives inside of you. The resurrected king lives inside of you. That means Satan is victim to your victory. That means there's not a Goliath that can stand before you and your destiny. The greatest stumbling block to you fulfilling your destiny is not the devil. It is you. You know what? When I've realized and figured out and found out that I was the, the, the issue, I actually, that actually blessed me. You should be happy to find out you're the problem. Man, because if somebody else is the problem, you can't change them. If God is the problem, you can't change him for sure. But if you're the problem, you can change you. You can change the way that you think. You can change the way that you believe. You can learn to submit. You can learn to yield. You can learn to obey. If I'm the problem, man, I can do something about me. Man, this revelation of the Christ that lives within is a revelation that Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand. He's literally saying, it is to your advantage that I go away. Family, I think it's time that we take advantage of our advantage. 
Christ in us, the hope of glory. Why do you think 1 John chapter 4 says that if greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Why do you think Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says you're already seated with Christ in the heavenly places? Where do you think that is? Right now within you in your spirit. Why do you think Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? That is a reality right now within you in your spirit. But not only are you in union with Christ in your spirit, when you became a born-again believer, now your spirit literally carries the very nature of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says, And as God is, so also are you in this world. I thought I'd get at least one amen out of that. Do I need to say that again? 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says, As God is, so also are you in this world. Well, where do you think that is? It is in your spirit right now. A present reality, a current reality. You don't have to achieve it. You don't have to attain it. Union with Christ comes by a revelation of what's already happened at the cross. Whew. Man, if I had hair on my head, it'd be standing up right now. I feel the Holy Ghost in here. Amen. I want you to consider this. If your spirit is as God is, that means your spirit is identical to Jesus right now. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says, put on the new man which is in the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. That means your spirit right now is just as righteous and holy and pure as Jesus is. Well, I don't believe that, William. Well, that's probably why you don't live in the reality of it. Are you guys okay? I'm finally starting to wake up a little bit now. Man, when this revelation hit me, it absolutely transformed my life. When I realized that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, when I realized that, G, that, that Christianity is the divine exchangement, he took my sin and I, and I received his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, he became sin so that I can become righteous. Wow. That is amazing to me. If God lives within me, if the King of kings and the Lord of lords live within, lives within me and I'm already in union with Christ, then why in the world am I concerned about the devil? Why in the world am I concerned about someone stopping my destiny? Why in the world am I concerned about what natural people are concerned with, what unbelievers are concerned with? Family, you have God dwelling inside of you. If you look at a situation no different than an unbeliever looks at it, it's because you're ignorant of the Christ that lives within Man, every Goliath in your life is simply the enemy masquerading as someone powerful. He's actually not someone powerful. He's masquerading as someone powerful. In other words, Satan is only as powerful as you believe he is. Man, I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil's afraid of me. Man, when I walk into a room, the devil runs out the back door. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen? Amen. 
But that word resist means to, to stand against, to oppose, and, get, and look at the context. Who is resisting? It's not God resisting the devil for you. It's you resisting the devil because God lives inside of you, the Spirit of Christ, his divine spirit abiding on the inside of you, his power, his authority, his righteousness, his nature, his holiness, his kingdom, his benefits, his blessings. It's already abiding. Whew. And this is why I wake up happy every day, man. I have Jesus living inside of me. I don't wake up to the major false prophet that we're dealing with in the land today, which is the media. Anyhow, I don't want to mess up your news watching, but if you wake up to bad news, you're waking up to the wrong news station, my friends. I wake up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wake up to the victorious person that he is. I wake up to the power of God, the authority of God, the goodness of God, the favor of God, the freedom of God, the deliverance of God that already abides within me. <laughs> Man, I haven't even been depressed in over 13 years. I don't even believe in depression. I don't even comprehend what it means to be depressed because I've already taken the best antidepressant. It's called the gospel. I know the first service is normally like the, the wake-up service, right? But I hope you're beginning to wake up and hear what I'm saying to you. This is what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand. He's literally saying, it's really, listen to me, it's to your advantage that I leave. It's to your advantage that I leave so that now I can live inside of you so that now not just a son is manifesting the kingdom, but many sons is manifesting the kingdom. This is a beautiful understanding. This has absolutely transformed and changed my life. And then he goes, to, goes on to say this in John chapter 16. Now pay attention to the role, the function. Now he says this, but if I go, I will send him to you. Well, the fact that he's sending him to you, which means this right here, that the Holy Spirit abiding inside of you right now is seeking the partnership of your will so that his can be accomplished. I want you to think about what I just said. The Holy Spirit inside of you, Christ inside of you right now is seeking the partnership of your will so that his can be accomplished. Do you realize the most beautiful gift God has given you is your will? The reason he gave you a will is because he doesn't want slaves. He wants sons. He wants you to follow him out of your own desire to follow him, which means this right here. God is willing to live inside of you as a captive until you learn to yield your will. Now, I'm not saying that you're holding him captive. He's holding himself captive within you. I'm not losing you, Emma. This is how much Jesus loves you. This is how much he loves freedom. This is how much he wants to live inside of you, constantly wooing your heart to yield to him, is that he's willing to hold himself captive inside of you until you learn to be obedient, until you learn to yield, until you realize he's not interested in controlling you. He's interested in freeing you so you can fully discover who you really are. You'll never, you'll never experience your created purpose and value until you learn to yield to the Holy Spirit that abides within you. The most beautiful gift that God has given you is your will. Can God do things without you? Absolutely. He has proven that. He proves that all the time, that he can do things in spite of you. 
but he actually lives inside of you because he wants to do things with you. He wants to do things through you. He wants to accomplish his will on this earth through the partnership of your will, yielding it to him. Man, this is good. This is good preaching, brother. This is good pre- <laughs> Now pay attention to what it goes on to say. And when I send him to you, he, when he comes, will convict the church. Is that what it says right here? Does he convict the church? Absolutely. But what is the context of this? The context is the Holy Spirit's coming inside of you to live through your life to convict the world, not to convict the church. Of course, he's going to convict the church, but, that, but the main mission of the Spirit is through your life to convict the world. That means the darkness in the world is your responsibility to do something about it. I'll just make it personal for me. It is my responsibility to do something about it. I take responsibility for the darkness that's in the world. I believe about 50% of the darkness that you see is a sign of the times, Matthew 24. But I believe the other 50% of the darkness that you see in the world is not a sign of the times. It's a sign of the church not realizing her responsibility. When you do not take ownership of this world, when you do not take ownership and responsibility for the darkness of this world, you fail to realize that you are an answer to the world's problems. And when you don't realize you're an answer, you'll become part of the problem. Christ in you is an answer to the world's problems. And so we need to stop praying for God to, to, to release what he's already released in you. I don't need to go home and beg and plead with God to release revival. I need to realize revival is waiting on me to move. Go heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. Well, well last year when my neighbor died, or, or died of an overdose and was brain dead, when we, my wife and I went to the hospital, laid hands on them, they were raised from the dead. Do you think revival happened? Man, I realize the resurrection power of Christ lives inside of me. I realize that darkness is not some overbearing thing of of the light that I carry. I realize that I carry a solution, that I carry the answer. And so, therefore, I I, I know I'm strategically placed in every city, every job, every school, every state, every country as an answer to the world's problems. So I'm not going to curse the darkness. I'm going to shine light into the darkness. Romans chapter 8, verses 19, 20, and 21 says, All of creation is awaiting for the revealing of the sons of God so that creation itself can be set free. I don't know if this is blessing you as much as it's blessing me, but man, I'm getting fired up about this stuff. This is amazing to me. The one of the worst things that you can do is hide your light from the world because then you give darkness purpose. I do not want to give Satan's presence purpose in my life. I don't want to give Satan's presence purpose in the world. I realize I am a demon destroyer. I realize that I am actually here to torment the devil, that he is not here to torment me. I'm actually here as part of his punishment. I'm created in the likeness of God. I have Jesus dwelling on the inside of me. Satan wanted to be God, so God says, well, I'll create man made in my image, and I'll defeat you through them just to show him how much power he really has. 
And this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. He's saying, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, man, he's going to convict the world. That means the darkness in the world, that means the world is our responsibility to do something about it. But if I have an eschatology that says everything has to go to hell in a handbasket so Jesus can come and beat me up, Scotty, like I'm in Star Trek, that's not a victorious bride. That's a poor, beat-up bride. Jesus ain't coming back for no bride that looks like that. Man, that's an ugly woman right there. I ain't coming back for her. Let me ask you, would, would you come back for you? <laughs> now, Jesus is coming back for a bride that's in equal proportion to who he is. He's not going to be unequally yoked to a poor, beat-up bride. No, he's coming back for a bride that is victorious. He's coming back for a, for a bride that's walking in his resurrection power. He's coming back for a bride that's awakening the creation around them, setting them free from their bondage, setting them free from their corruption, establishing a righteous standard. He's coming back for a bride that looks like him. Whoo, man. And I mean, I know ministers that want things to go to hell so that they can be saved and rescued. Well, Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says the right opposite of that eschatology. It says that Jesus bore our sins so that he can rescue us from this present evil age. In other words, the rescue mission already came in his first coming, not his second coming. And the rescue mission was not from the world, but for the world. Man, I hope I'm making some sense here. This has changed my life. When I realize this in the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I realize that he has already rescued me from darkness, he's already transformed me, transformed me out of darkness into the marvelous light of his son, and I realize I'm rescued for the world, and I realize the power of Jesus lives inside of me, and there's not a demon big enough, bad enough, or equipped enough to handle me <laughs> or to oppose me. Man, I started getting excited. I started getting bold. I started getting courageous in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, let's get back to the text. Man, I only have 19 minutes. It goes on to say this, and when he comes, he will convict the world. Now, he says three things concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, thankfully for you and I, he actually defines what he means with these three specific terms because the church has not done a great job at role modeling what these three terms are. The church has taken sin, for example, and, said, and, we, and stand on a box out there on the street and judge people as, and tell them they're going to hell but don't turn to Jesus. That's not the way the Holy Spirit convicts. Now, pay attention to this. It says, concerning sin... Because the people do not believe upon me. Who's the people? The world. Do you realize it says sin, not sins? That the Holy Spirit through your life is to convict the world of sin, singular. What is that one sin that all other sin is a byproduct of? The sin of unbelief. 
There's only one sin that the blood of Christ has not atoned for. That is the rejection of him as Savior. And that is the one sin that the Holy Spirit is preoccupied with convicting the world of because all other sin comes out of this one sin of rejecting Christ as their King of kings and Lord of lords and Savior. So that means the Holy Spirit through your life is to convict the world of their unbelief. In other words, an unbeliever gets around a believer and they're convicted of their unbelief. Let me ask you, when was the last time an unbeliever got around you and they were convicted of their unbelief instead of convinced of their unbelief? One of the reasons that I grew up an atheist was simply because I never met a Christian. Or at least one that blew their cover. Jesus didn't come to die for a secret society. He came to die for a bride that shines her light brightly within the world. Amen? That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's one of the reasons why I was an atheist was simply because I never heard the name Jesus ever spoken from a Christian. I never saw them live their life in any way that proved to me that God was real because they talk like the world, they act like the world, they got sick like the world, they got depressed like the world, they got fearful like the world. So how in the world can God be real? That was my, that was my whole argument. You see, when was the last time an unbeliever got around you and they were convicted of their unbelief? I picked this guy up side the road one time. He was broke down side the road, and I was just going to help him out to fix his car. And I, look, Southern hospitality is a real thing, right? And so I just picked this guy up. He got in the car with me. Within two or three minutes, he begins to weep uncontrollably for no reason. And he's a stranger. He's just riding in the car, but I'm a believer. And when you get in a car with a believer, guess what you're going to encounter? You're going to encounter Jesus. You're going to encounter faith. And he gets into the car with me, and all of a sudden, he just begins to weep. He begins to cry. And he looks over at me. He says, who in the world are you? <laughs> like that. I said, what do you mean, who am I? He says, as soon as I got in the car with you, this overwhelming sense of love came over me. I said, well, that love you're experiencing is Jesus. And as soon as I connected what he experienced to Jesus, he says, I prayed last night, God, if you're really real, real reveal yourself to me. He says, how can I get saved? You see, an unbeliever got in the presence of a believer and was convicted of their unbelief. Man, when was the last time an unbeliever got around you? Come on. If we were ever postured in a time to convict the world of unbelief, it's been this past year and a half to be able to convict the world of unbelief. When they got around you, 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 walked, you still walked in joy in the midst of chaos. You still walked in healing in the midst of sickness. You still walked in uh, joy and peace and patience and kindness in the midst of all things that's going around. Now, what kind of sign could we reveal to the world right now? I think the church is to reveal a new health care plan called His Assurance that by His wounds, we are hallelujah I don't get sick I don't believe in sickness I don't get sick by faith most people get sick by faith flu season comes around you go to CVS pharmacy you buy all the medication you need to get sick you plan to get sick man it's mighty quiet in here I just live my life differently. I realize God lives inside of me. I don't have to accept the things the world accepts as normal. I'm not normal. I'm wall-to-wall -wall Holy Ghost on the inside of me. 
My spirit has been joined with God's spirit. So why do I want to accept what the world calls as normal as normal for me? Now, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is that, is that you'll never, I'm not saying you'll never get sick, but what I am saying is you don't have to accept sickness as part of your normal life. You can actually resist it. You can actually speak against it. You can actually tell it what to do instead of it telling you what to do. Amen. This is what the Holy Spirit's role is to your life, is to convict the world of unbelief. When the, when the unbelieving world gets around a believer, they are convicted of their unbelief. They are conv- convicted of the fact that they don't believe in Jesus. But notice that this conviction is not out of judgment and condemnation. It is, it is not out of being arrogant It is out of conviction. Conviction is anchored in reconciliation. Reconciliation is is aiming people and reconciling people back to their creator God. Conviction connects people to who they are, not to who they're not. That's what conviction does. Conviction is a good thing. I love the fact that God convicts me, even in my failures, even in my mistakes. He doesn't beat me over the head like Dennis the Menace would. That's how most people picture God. I had this one minister. He explained his version of God to me. And by the time he got through explaining him, he sounded more like the devil than it did Jesus. Man, if your picture of God, if, if he were a man, if he would be put in prison for what you think about him, then you, may, you have reason to doubt what you believe. Jesus is a perfect father. He's not going to give you sickness to teach you a lesson. Man, I grew up in Alabama, and Alabama, man, some of these ministers are funny now. I heard this one minister say, man, if you don't give your tithes, God's going to take it out in hospital bills. Man, that's about as stupid as you can get. I mean, that's like stupid to the second power. I mean, that, that person doesn't even know God. But yet you're trying to preach. God isn't, God isn't an angry God. He's not judging and condemning you. He's not going to give you sickness to teach you a lesson. Man, sickness is from the devil. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. It doesn't say who were oppressed of God. <laughs> I hear people talk about God, and it sounds more like uh, the Godfather than it does God the Father. You know what I'm saying? He sounds more like a gangster. I'm like, man, no wonder y'all depressed and beat up, man. You're serving a gangster for God. First John chapter 3, verse 21 says, if your conscience does not condemn you, you have confidence before God. God's not condemning you. The only person condemning you is either Satan or your own conscience, your own belief system. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation. I'm preaching better than you're listening. I hope you guys can pick up on my sarcastic sense of humor here. If you don't know what to do, just laugh. I mean, come on, help us both out. I had this one guy says, "Wait, you have a police officer's face. I'm like, well, I can't change my face. I look serious, but I'm actually really happy. (laughs) I may look like I'm mad, but I mean, I love Jesus. I mean, I realize that I cannot change my face, so don't try to lead me to Jesus once the service is over with, trying to cast a demon of anger out of me. I don't have a demon of anger. Anyway, you'll be surprised what people say to me. 
Man, this is what the Holy Spirit is to do through your life is to convict the world of unbelief. But if you have all these skewed views of God, man, you're not going to convince, you're not going to convict the world of unbelief. You're going to convince the world of their unbelief because they're not going to see any power in your life. They're not going to see any peace in your life. They're not going to see any joy in your life. And so therefore, how can God be real if he's not real in you? What I see in America is a lot of Christianity is what I call Christian atheism. Well, what is that? Well, you believe God exists, but live your life as if he doesn't. It's Christian atheism. You guys okay? You're staring at me. Family, this has changed my life. When I realize these truths, when I realize this revelation on the inside of me, and I realize that Jesus lives inside of me, his power dwells inside of me, man, I can't help. I, I fall into freedom. I stumble into victory. I fall over in healing. I mean, I walk in these things by accident. <laughs> because I realize, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, can you tell I like the Bible? Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, in the same way that you receive Christ, walk it, therefore, in him. You didn't receive Christ by your achievement, so therefore you can't walk in Christ by your achievement. You didn't receive Christ by your performance, therefore you can't walk in Christ by your performance, just by your faith. The only thing that pleases God is faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him, and so if your performance doesn't please, please him. It is your faith in what he has done for you is what pleases him. Man, when you put your faith in yourself, you, you determine what God does in your life based on what you do for him. And so that righteousness is not Christ's righteousness, it's self-righteousness, because now you're connecting what God does according to what you do instead of what he has done for you. Religious people don't like me preaching that because they want to know it's because they fasted and prayed for 55,000 years that reason God moved and blessed them. No, God, God moves you in your life because of who he is, not because of who you are. <laughs> I'm just trying to free you up to experience Jesus, you know. It's not hard. All you got to do is die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's easy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just stop living. <laughs> just die and let Jesus live through you. Why do you think Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ who, I, mean, I butchered that. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's what Galatians 2, 20 says. Paul told you, just die. <laughs> it's easy. I mean, it really is. It goes on to say this. I'm losing track here. I have seven minutes left to get two points across. That ain't going to happen. It says concerning righteousness. Now, pay attention to this. Because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. What Jesus was the standard of righteousness. Do you realize it, is, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit, is to, it, Holy Spirit is to convict the world of unrighteousness. But that's the way we interpret it, that we think we gotta, we got to show the world how unrighteous they are. Well, Romans chapter 2 says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. <laughs> you don't need to show the world how unrighteous they are. They already know. That's why they're unrighteous. 
Man, when I was a crackhead, I didn't need a Christian to tell me, you're a crackhead. Like, yeah, I know. Give me another rock. I mean, I didn't need anybody to tell me I was a sinner. I needed somebody to tell me who I was created to be. I needed someone to show a righteous standard to connect me to a greater reality instead of someone saying, look, you dirty, rotten sinner. Duh, I know I'm a sinner. The Holy Spirit isn't going to convict the world of their unrighteousness. They already know that. They're here to convict the world of the righteousness that they are called to live according to. In other words, the right standing that Jesus died for them to have. Because righteousness means right standing. In other words, a Jesus in his flesh was role modeling the life and lifestyle of every single believer, a right standing son with the father and what that looks like within the world. Man, what if you realize that you're at total right standing with God by faith? It is a gift of faith. Your righteousness is a gift of faith. Your right standing with God is a gift of faith. That's why Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, you have been justified by faith, therefore you have peace with God. That means God is not angry at you. He's not judging you. He's not condemning you. You're in total alignment, total union with Christ. You're at total peace with him. So therefore, out of that right standing, you're able to establish righteousness before man. I've got more people saved by accident than I ever had on purpose. But the Holy Spirit spends most of his time trying to convict the, convict the church of her righteousness because all the lies we believed about ourselves, he can't even convict the world of righteousness because he's constantly trying to convict his own children that they are right standing before him. You just need to, con- con- listen, you just need to settle it in your heart that God loves you and get over yourself and begin to live as if God loves you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That means while you were a prostitute, while you were a drug addict, while you were a sinner, while you were an enemy, he loved you so much he would die for you. That means Jesus thinks you are to die for us. So you just need to get over yourself. Man, when you, when you want to know the love of Christ, look at the cross. But how many of us know Romans chapter 5 verses, verse 8 is not, is not the climax that Paul was getting to. Verses 9 and 10 was actually what he was trying to get to because verse 9 starts off and says this, how much more then? And basically what he's saying, if I, if I loved you so much I'd die for you while you were an enemy, how much more now that you're a son am I going to work in your life? Am I going to live in your life? Am I going to move in your life? Now that you're a child, how much more do I love you now? And see, the Holy Spirit through your life is to convict the world of righteousness, right standing, that you're at peace with God, that you're right standing before God, and what that looks like. Whew. I worked with this guy one time, and, and, and I'm, I don't complain. I, I, listen, I'm a, I'm a Christian, <laughs> so I don't fall off in worshiping Satan, because that's what I think complaining is, is the worship music of hell. And, and so I worked at this job, and everybody at this job complained, but I, I'm someone that knows that I can establish righteousness everywhere that, oh, because I, everywhere that I am, because I'm a righteous son. I'm right standing before God, so therefore, I establish righteousness everywhere that I am. And so I never gave into the conversations that they were trying to have with me. Within six months, the place that I worked, that area that I worked in became the most productive area in the whole business because people worked beside me. They stopped complaining. They started doing their work. They started loving their jobs. 
Why? Because they were around a righteous son. They were around someone that was right standing before their father. They realized, I don't have to give in to my environment. I am not a product of my environment. My, my environment is a product of me. We need to shift the way that we think. Well, after six months, this guy walks up to me. He says, man, I've been walking around you and li- uh, listening to you, and you're always happy. You're always joy-filled. You love to work. You're the hardest worker here. He says, some days I look at you, and I just want to slap the spit out your mouth. <laughs> he says, but then I go home, and I get to thinking, why in the world is William so happy? And he asked me, he says, why are you happy? And as soon as I connected my joy, the way that I live, my righteous, st- my righteous stance, my language, as soon as I connected it to Jesus, he fell down on his knees, began to weep at his job. He says, how can I be saved? See, the Holy Spirit through your life is to convict the world of righteousness. A righteous son lives righteously before man. And we've got it all skewed in the world today where we think justice and revenge is the same thing. I have an entire teaching series on the justice of God. You should hear it. It's it's good. I like it. (laughs) And the third thing is this right here. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world concerning judgment. Now pay attention to where, where and who the judgment is aimed at because the ruler of this world has been judged. In other words, the spirit of God through your life is to come to convict the world of who the real enemy is. And guess what? The real enemy is not your neighbor. The real enemy is not people. The real enemy is not those that are in the flesh. It is the powers and principalities behind those actions. But if Satan can get you to make people your enemy, then he can get you to fight the wrong battle and escalate his schemes and his plans on this earth. William, I don't, you haven't been through what I've been through. Listen, I live in the same world that you live, live in. I've seen some of the same things that you've seen, experienced some of the same things that you've experienced. I am telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ can set you free from you. In 2012 is when I realized how much I was set free is when my brother was murdered. And when I saw the person that murdered my brother, I had zero amount of hatred in my heart toward that person because I realized there's other factors involved. I realized that that person was just as much a victim of Satan as my brother was from their actions because I know there's another enemy involved and it's not people. It is spiritual forces of wickedness behind what people do. And so when Jesus came, he came to expose the real enemy and then to bring judgment upon the real enemy, Satan and his schemes and his plans. And so you and I as the church is to exercise that judgment over his works by destroying them, not reinforcing them. You see, when you fight accusation with accusation, the only thing that wins is accusation. When you fight evil with evil, the only thing that wins is evil. What Satan tries to do is to come attack you through people so that now you mirror image his attack and get and reciprocate what he comes against you with. I started praying for the person that murdered my brother instead of cursing them because I realized I've been illumined with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will be a greater sin of me to, to condemn that person to hell 
because I've been illumined with the light of the gospel. And the same Jesus that died for me and my sins is the same Jesus that died for them and their sins. And they, and they don't need me as a son. They don't need you as a son or a daughter to judge and condemn them. They need you to reconcile them to their father God so that they can see themselves clearly for the first time. Man, this is what the Holy Spirit has come to do, do through your life, to, to convict the world of sin, unbelief, convict the world of righteousness, right standing, to convict the world of judgment, who the real enemy is. Destroy those works. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, Jesus said, I came for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. I'm just letting you think about what I just said, just for a moment. Have I been in situations where it was very difficult not to hate the person? Absolutely. But I'm free. I'm free from people's accusations, so therefore, I'm free from offense. I'm free from me, so therefore, I'm free from you. <laughs> this is the beauty of what Jesus has come to do. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. This is the beauty of what the gospel really is. Is that you come, become such an ambassador of God a representation of him, to represent him. You see, the world determines your God based on your representation of him. What Jesus are you revealing? Jesus is not simply your savior. He is the Lord of your life, and he should be served as such. When you gave your life to Jesus, you literally gave up your right to represent yourself. When you respond to the invitation of Christ, it is not you inviting Jesus into your life, it's you responding to the call of Christ to be invited into his. Jesus isn't a tag on to what we do. Because if he's just an add-on to what we do, we're still serving ourselves in the name of Jesus. We're just crediting the name of Christianity to it. But when you realize that God lives inside of you, he's come to set you free, and he has a mission through your life, these three specific functions to convict the world, now all of a sudden you're no longer self-centered, you're Christ-centered, and you're people-centered, and you realize, man, smiling at my waitress for a change can actually do good. How about this, Christians? Tipping the waitress for a change. <laughs> Amen. Family, we're, we're going to officially close the service right now. If you need to receive some prayer, some ministry time, there's a team up here to receive you. Uh, we do have another service here at 11 a.m. If you would like to stay for that service as well, we are going to go into some more ministry time at the end of that service. And we have a little bit more liberty because there's not another service that comes after. So if you want to stay for that, you're more than welcome to. If not, um, bless you. It was an honor to be here. Love you guys. And I hope I'll see you next time. We hope this message encouraged you today. 
For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.